Welcome back to School of Science Radio Podcast. I'm Gino Ganello, joined uh, once again this week by Matthew Chandler, as always. And we have a very special guest, one of the more famous people on Everton Twitter right now. Uh, goes by Finkitch on Twitter, but Matt in real life. Matt, how's it going? It's going, uh, it's going good. Really That's good. awesome. That's awesome. So, obviously, we know who you are on Twitter, but why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, I guess how we got to this point, um, you know, just introduce yourself a little bit and tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, what well, I joined Twitter about well, about 10 years ago um, and just slowly have grown a following, um, which in the last, I'd say two weeks has exploded. Um, I cook, I'm a chef by trade. I'm married. I've got three children. Um, and I've been a fan, Everton fan, since 1985. Um, yeah, what more can I say? <laughs> Good year to surprised start. To see, surprised to see you're not Velios, by the way. I always thought you were Velios. I know, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know if you saw the reveal. Everyone went a bit mad because <laughs> I look nothing like him. <laughs> Is he aware of you, by the way? Is he, like in the last few weeks? He, 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 uh, he has... Uh, he has uh, Spoke to me on Twitter, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I think somebody, obviously, go ahead. Somebody, I think somebody messaged him on Facebook uh, to tell him what was going on, and then he came onto Twitter and he obviously messaged me, and it quite it caused quite a stir. <laughs> well, that's that's awesome, and it, you know, it's great to see what's happened over the last few weeks. Um, obviously, Everton been playing well, but to kind of have that extra factor, you always feel like one of those one of these teams. You know, especially these teams of destiny, I guess you can call them. You know, we don't know what Everton will be. But if we are one of those, they always seem to have this little side story attached to them. And for us, it's, it's been the Spirit of the Blues song that was released um, originally by the Liverpool Express after Everton won the First Division European Cup Winners' Cup double back in the 1984-85 season. Ironically enough, around the same time yeah. you started following uh, or you started uh, following uh, Everton. It's just some things that it's done over the past two weeks since you've started um, really promoting it, I guess. Um, knocked Miley Cyrus off the top, top of the iTunes charts. It's UK's most downloaded track of the week. Videos with the song added to it all over Twitter. Um, it's been released as a limited edition 7-inch vinyl with all proceeds going to Everton in the community, which I actually purchased. Um, so I'm really excited for that. It's going to be really cool. Um, I mean... When you started this, how did this come about? How did you come up with this idea? And I mean, obviously, there's so many different Everton songs out there that you could have used. Could have used Z cars, obviously, that they used to come out to, or um, any of the other ones. Why this one? Well, it was uh, it was started by uh, a lad on Twitter called uh, Adam, and he'd uh, created a video. It was a Planet of the Apes. No, it was not Planet of the Apes. It was Coldplay. It was a Coldplay music video, and he'd put the song over that. Uh, probably three weeks before um, and everybody had loved it. It was funny. Then somebody had added it, uh, a lad called Dan had added it to a video with a little guy dancing in a nightclub, which is, it was a funny video anyway. You've put the song on, which is catchy. And um, yeah, I saw he posted it. Um, and then it, it just became a thing to share it when we'd won a game. At the end of the game, post the video and everyone went mad for it. Um, and then it just became 
I don't know, what if we put it on something else? Because we would already had two videos, let's stick it on something else. And I, I put it on a, a couple more dance scenes. Um, and then my notifications just went crazy because people were coming up with just such genius ideas. Um, I don't know if you've seen most of them. The Maradona one sort of took it up a level. Uh, Shawshank Redemption, which was incredible. The Friends one. The, I mean, it's never ending. There's so many now. I'm still getting, still getting new ones today. I mean, that's... what are our, our favourites out of the ones we've seen? I think my favourite is the Simpsons one, where I don't know if you've seen this one, where um, I think like Mr. Burns like is in a is like tank outside the house, Simpsons house, and they play. Think... Um, he like comes on as he's uh, playing. And there's a the Showtime uh, Redemption. There's another one which is like a personal favourite of mine. Um, I saw the Joker one recently. Yeah, uh, I thought that one was funny too, just because. It just, I don't know how, but it just hit every time he took a step or something like that. It was just like perfectly in sync, which I thought was great. Um, do you have Partridge one as well? I really liked where he's playing yeah. the uh, caravan, like, um, yeah. So he started like the latest trip to crazy, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty crazy. Did you think it would ever get this big? No, not at all. It was just, uh, something to do something to pass the time and then it it became consuming all consuming there was just so many videos i did even now i can't believe how far it's gone i mean have you had like i mean i guess this week has been like crazy for you hasn't it? i mean like what's been like the weirdest or most like surreal thing that's happened this like last week or so uh, well about 20 minutes ago i got a phone call from bill kemright what? Really? <laughs> <laughs> my, my phone rang and it was a withheld number and I was like, oh, I'm not sure I'll answer it. Because obviously I was doing this, so I thought, oh, maybe it's to do with the podcast. Yeah. And I answered the phone and someone said, hi, is that Matt? And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, hi, it's Bill Kenwright. And I was just, oh, I, didn't, I didn't even say anything. I was just like, uh, <laughs> what, what, how do you react to that? I couldn't believe it. I think what you've done is, is amazing though because it's like um, it's kind of I mean you've you kind of seen in the last few years how kind of I guess toxic or kind of um, depressing an environment like Twitter can be whenever they're struggling and whatever and I feel like through this especially it's kind of really brought like especially online especially now like at a time when people can't go to the match and it's kind of um, it's kind of Twitter's like a, a great, like a better place to kind of connect with Evertonian because you can't obviously see each other the match or kind of so socialize with them. I feel like um, you've really kind of brought everyone together in this way. Where kind of it's been it's that, like the feel good factor is amazing at the club, isn't it? I feel like something that's something you've really helped kind of yeah. tap tap into in the last few weeks. Um, you must be kind of taken aback by just like what the reaction to it and the, the sort of yeah, like I said, the feel-good factor, I guess. Massively, massively. I've, uh, I've said it before, I've, I haven't got a massive connection to the football club. I've supported Everton for 35 years, um, but um, I've, I've not, I don't go to the game every week like normal supporters. Um, but this, I would say this last two weeks, it's made me feel 
massively part of the Everton family um, and sort of involved with the club. I've been, I've spoken to people at the club and for me, football crazy all my life. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, that's, I think that's, um, I mean, what I also would say is like, um, you know, I feel like they'll, they'll, you'll inevitably probably get people from other uh, fan bases who maybe, I wouldn't say they, they cringe, but they'll, they'll think that, you know, they've only won a few games and maybe they're getting carried away. But I feel like you kind of, we kind of needed this, didn't we, after the last few years especially. And um, again, like I said, it's kind of so refreshing to see everyone coming together and uh, and just being happy. I mean, <laughs> Twitter feels like a nicer place to be now, doesn't it, than yeah. say, last season? <laughs> Usually, usually, like say, last few seasons, it's not been a nice place to be. No, no. I can't think of like a group of supporters who deserve like this. I know, I know. We keep saying it's only seven games into the season, but it's seven wins, and and that's not something I've ever experienced. Uh, yeah, you know, in my life. Does it um, make you wonder what what Twitter would be like if we if we won? You know, how far does it go? I know. Yeah. This is just after seventy-seven wins. Imagine, imagine <laughs> if we actually won a trophy. Uh, I, I, I literally, I literally had a look at the fixtures yesterday, and I was thinking, if, if we can beat Liverpool, which is for my time, Sporting Evan has not been very successful against <laughs> them. My my oh, best friend, my best friend is a um, red, and I think even he feels sorry for me when when we go to the pub and watch the game and we lose again. He's he's stopped celebrating as much when the goals go in. Um, so just to be just to be able to have a team that's going to go out there and compete with them, which you think this team, it's it's going to be able to do that. So I think we need a uh, a dressing room sort of rendition of spirit of the Blues from the team if we if we win the derby, especially. <laughs> I think that would go down as treat, wouldn't it, on Twitter? It'd go down well, that <laughs> wouldn't it? It'd be the number one video then. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, fair play to you, mate. I mean, you've really kind of brought everyone together the last few weeks, so so thank you for doing that, I guess. No, well, you, you know, it, it was everybody. It was, I just played a bit of a part in it. Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, for me personally, uh, you know, you get down to like the 85th, 87th minute of a game like yesterday, and you're like, okay, wins in the bag and wait until it hits, you know, the final whistle so I could start blaring Spirit of the Blues. A song that, I mean, over here in America, we don't know. I mean, me personally and probably most of the Everton fans here in America don't know too much about too many of the tunes uh, from Everton's yeah. past. So, obviously, I had nothing. But now I'm like, love this song. You know, I'm looking for more <laughs> more songs out there to learn um, and then hopefully, you know, get down to Goodison one day before before things shut down. But, but have, you listened to, have you listened to the album on Spotify or anything, Gene? I have not, on? but I've listened to a few of the songs. Like, I mean, Spirit of the Blues is great because obviously you've got that fantastic guitar solo and it's sort of the iconic song, but all the best ones are on there. Here We Go is another personal favourite. The Duncan Ferguson song is on there. Yeah. <laughs> Check it out. But it's, it's been fantastic really watching this thing grow and hopefully it's become, like I said, one of those things that if it is a team of destinies, that thing that we remember, that one point of the season where we remember this song kind of carries all the way through. And, um, you know, who knows what the season has in hold for us. Like you said, it's seven wins out of seven, something that I don't think any of us have ever experienced. I mean, certainly me and Matthew um, have not experienced in our, our time supporting Everton. Um, 
but it's been fantastic. And, you know, while we have you on, let's get into a little bit of what has happened over the past week in terms of Everton on the pitch, um, getting a blast, Spirit of the Blues, um, you know, clearly at halftime before the game. I feel like they blasted every chance they had <laughs> um, that you can hear. Um, but starting off with Everton and West Ham at midweek, Everton beating West Ham 4-1, two changes from uh, the previous EFL Cup win over Fleetwood, uh, where um, Hamas came in and um, Allen came in. Um, a little shaky there in the middle, uh, obviously. Um, a couple goals there that brought it, what, to three – or was it – what was this one? 2-1, I think. Yeah, 2-1 at one point. Um, and then, you know, Everton kind of took things away. Another hat trick for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Uh, Matt. We'll start with you. What did you kind of think of this match, watching it and, um, you know, going all the way through? Well, um, you know, what, what I'm finding is that when we're playing a team and we're beating them like we did, because it, it, once there was, a, it was always the worry that West Ham would get back into the game. And when they equalised, I still thought we're going to win this game with ease because of the players we've got available. And everybody says... It's happened against Tottenham. Tottenham were rubbish. It happened against Palace. Palace didn't perform. And then this time against West Ham, it's like, it's only West Ham that you've beat. But West Ham, have, in between that game, West Ham have stuffed two teams off the park, Leicester and Wolves, who we're sort of aiming to compete with. So for me, the performance was absolutely brilliant. Matthew? I was um, I was especially impressed in this game from uh, obviously Calvert Lewin kind of takes the headlines because he got the hat trick, um, and they were th- they were th- they were three three really sort of trademark Calvert Lewin finishes, weren't they? You got the kind of the composed first goal, you've got the the rebound tap in for the second one, and then you've got the sort of one on one keep you cool to to slot home for the hat trick. But um, I wanted to mention uh, Niels and Kunku as well, who I thought. Probably had his most um, sort of base sort of defensive job from the three EFL Cup games he played, and I thought handled was it Yarmolenko? I think he had to deal with most of the games. Well, he did a, he did a, a pretty faultless job with him. Um, and who else stood out? I guess I mean Rodriguez obviously was just kind of he's a class above, isn't he? And you could tell every time he gets the ball, it just looks so effortless with him, doesn't he? <laughs> I feel like the game kind of revolves around him. Um, but, I mean, I thought I thought Fabian Delph had a good game as well in that sort of deeper role. And um, Gilfie Sigurdsson, I think, kind of set up, played that lovely ball through for Calvert-Lewin for his hat-trick uh, goal, didn't he? So, I don't know. I'm a bit, a bit conflicted on Calvert-Lewin. I don't know what Matt's like in terms of how, how, how sort of ardent an England fan you are. But I'm not... I always worry when our players get called up with England in case they either... Either Gareth Southgate or whoever England's manager is kind of ruins them, or whether they'll get injured. And obviously, it's great for Calvert Lewin, but it's not something I'm, I was particularly. No, uh, we'd rather we'd rather he sat home for two weeks. Yeah, I think so. Um, but hey, I mean, at least he's not got to fly to a different continent like Yerry Mina and yeah, uh, which you guys do. So yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, it's obviously great for a confidence boost for Calvert-Lewin. I've always been, uh, if you listen to the podcast way back when uh, I used to do them with Chris and Adam, even when Calvert-Lewin was just getting the few minutes he was getting, I was uh, I was always supporting him. So I'm like always happy to see him score 
Um, obviously not even just because he's playing for Everton and scoring goals for us, but um, because, you know, we've seen his progression and we've seen how he's really grown. And, you know, as, as much as anyone, I feel like he deserves this just because of the effort he puts in week in and week out. Um, you know, we don't, we don't see it in training, but we see it on the pitch on game day. And, and that's really, you know, probably the most important thing. Um, so real happy for him. Again, like you said, Hamas is, uh, you know, far and above, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of the quality that we have seen on this pitch in, in a while. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously there are some areas that need to be, you know, probably, you know, maybe taped up a little bit, you know, hopefully the injuries aren't on for too long. It doesn't seem like, well, they will be for too long. It seems by the time the Derby rolls around, uh, we should have, you know, everybody full that we need fully healthy. Um, but you know, another great performance, like you said, Matt, it's, you know, everybody says it's, it's, you know, it's just West Ham, but West Ham just beat Leicester three, nothing. They beat Wolves four, nothing, I think. Right. I think they, they, they hammered Wolves as well. Um, you know, so, you know, I don't know. It, it seems like, it seems like it's a pretty good win, win for us and, and Tottenham, currently winning it was 4-1 last I checked right now over United obviously a red card there but still um that win's still looking more and more impressive this team they have talent there and um you know it's it's really good to see and now we're moving on to the quarterfinals Man United at home which Matt how do you you know obviously it's a it's a long way away there's going to be injuries there's going to be things that we have to deal with in December that we're not dealing with right now but looking at that matchup right now obviously with Ole still is the manager and, and, you know, still things with um, United still undecided and, and we don't know what will happen tomorrow in the transfer window as we're recording Sunday, October 4th. Um, what's your opinion on the matchup going to go up against United? It, it feels, it feels strange to be confident going into that game. I mean, Man United are a good team, but I just feel that we're a level above them at the moment. I don't know if that's because, they were late back into the season and they're not up to speed yet, but we just look better in, in almost all positions. They, they, they haven't really, their players have not fired. They, like you said today, they're, they're getting hammered at the moment. Um, I just think we, it's, it's weird to be going into it with a lot of confidence Hopefully we've not picked up any injuries because it's obviously that busy Christmas period. But I can't see Man United putting out their strongest side against us for that, which can only give you more confidence. It's, um, I mean, I think, I think it's probably one of the better draws we could have got because you're obviously going to have to play the, the better side at some point if, you're gonna, if you want to win the trophy anyway. Um, and we're at home, so um, and we haven't lost to United since Solskjaer. Uh, took over there so if there's anything to fear you just wish that I mean I guess it's unlikely but you, you just wish that you could have a full Goodison for that game because you can imagine the atmosphere that night at Goodison would be absolutely rocking wouldn't it but yeah um, I was quite pleased with the draw to be honest I mean obviously you'd, you'd, I guess you'd prefer to maybe get someone like Brentford or Stoke like a championship team at home or Newcastle maybe but um, I don't see I don't think there's any, anything really to fear I mean I, I put up on our Twitter the other day our December or like Christmas schedule and you know it is it's, it's a pretty heavy workload in terms of you know we've got Chelsea and um, Arsenal United City Wolves Leicester within like the space of a month but 
you know, it's going to be like that for most teams, isn't it? So, um, hope, yeah, you, you just hope that we're kind of injury free at that point. And, um, but I mean, it's a long way off, so we'll kind of have to judge it close to the time thing. Just going back to the West Ham game, I'm just reading uh, obviously P. Reynolds' five telling stats that he did for the site for this game. And uh, one that stuck out to me, just going back to Nkunku, was that he had a 90% pass rate and four tackles and one interception. So, kind of showing again there, I guess, that he's a solid backup to Luca Dean and that maybe left back is not somewhere that we really need to worry about as much as we thought maybe a month ago, a month or so ago. Um, and obviously the three injuries was a blow, obviously to Kenny and Alan and Richarlison. We'll get on to Richarlison in the Brighton game, but um, you know, James Coleman has kind of started the season in such good form that you can't really see Kenny getting in there at the moment. And Alan, um, well, hopefully back to the Derby, we'll probably need for that game. But um, nice, like I said, we'll get on to Brighton soon, but I think I think we showed maybe that we've got a bit more strength and depth there than we thought we had. Yeah, Matt, how do, you, how do you feel? And Kunku, how have you felt about his development so far? I mean, obviously, you know, it feels like over the past few weeks in the Cup games, we've seen a lot of these players, even players that have been on the squad for a while. Um, they've improved dramatically, but you never knew because it was against this lesser competition. Now that you see him against a Premier League side, what do you think of Nkunku? And maybe, you know, expand it to what you think of how some of the players who have been here for a while are starting to improve as well um, under Ancelotti. Um, well, I think uh, Nkunku, he, we, we had the first two games against the lower league sides and he was massively exciting going forward. Um, he, he was never really troubled at the back and it was all about his, uh, his attacking play. And um, a lot of the comments on Twitter were, well, is he, has he got that game defensively? Can he play as a defender? Um, and he proved against West Ham that yes he can he can do that he's he's developed into already into a a, a good player and it, it's it's unlucky for him that Luca Dean's so good because he could play in 15 of the 20 Premier League sides he'd probably get in the starting lineup he's been that exciting and that good um i just think you know he's going to be a, he's going to be a real star that player just one just one thing i want to i wanted to ask about Calvert-Lewin as well is do you do you think he kind of obviously he had that period where maybe the jury was out a bit on him where he you know famously played right wing back for one game under Koeman (laughs) (laughs) and uh, I think about three different managers played him on played him on the left wing didn't they do do we feel like Calvert-Lewin almost kind of had to go through that spell to get where he is now Do do you feel like he would be behind in his development if he hadn't had that sort of, sort of tough sort of bedding in spell. But do, do you know what it was? Do, I don't know if you follow him on Instagram. Um, yeah, it, it's quite popular in our house. My wife's always looking at it. Um, <laughs> but he posted over the summer. He posted. He was you know showing his workouts, um, and he was just constantly working out, and um, you know it got a lot of attention. And I think that's what you can see now is that um, in similar way to Harry Kane, when Harry Kane was playing for the England under-21s, um, I remember watching him and thinking he's just not, he's, he's a good player, but he's just not strong enough. Um, and I probably posted on Twitter about how rubbish he was. Um, but he, his game has developed and he's got stronger and stronger. 
was no Velios, was he? Well, you know, <laughs> Velios is the best striker in the world, you know. <laughs> but I just think he's put that effort in and now we're reaping the rewards. He's, he's stronger and fitter and obviously he's got Duncan Ferguson, you know, helping him in training and it's all coming up now. He's, he's not, I'm not quite sure how old he is. Is he 22, 23? 23. Um, 23. And he's, um, he's got his first England call up. It, it's, there's, there's only one way from there, isn't there? He's, he's, he's up. So. I think, um, um, I think you could definitely say, I think maybe it's a bit premature to say he's, he's, a, he's the best English striker because I think you'd look at Harry Kane's longevity and say, you know, he's still he's still at it like that has been for five years or so. But on current form, I don't think you can look past Calvert Lewin, can you? So um, no, definitely deserves a chance with England in these. Um, is it the Nations League games we've got and yeah, national games? So um, I would I'd like to see him given a go for England. Um, obviously, like I said, it's it's not massively important to me whether our players do well for England just because I'm not that fussed overly about England, but. Um, be nice to see him given a chance, I guess, and hopefully, you know, if he if he goes away for England and then scores a couple of goals, he's only going to come back with even greater confidence and goes away from this international break with, isn't he? So, um, I think you can only do him good, I guess, to to be with England. <laughs> Touch wood. I think we all feel like that, though. That we don't want him there. <laughs> We'd rather keep him at home. But <laughs> if, if he does go there and he does score, his confidence going into the derby is going to be sky high, and that's all we want. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, just to keep him, I mean, it feels like he does score every single game, every single time he's out on the pitch for us. But again, like you said, just to get that confidence even higher to score for England, get some time out there. Um, You know, Matthew, you mentioned it. Obviously, Kane has been doing this more consistently over the past few years. But there's no reason right now to believe that under Ancelotti, um, Dominic Cavalier can't be doing that. And, um, you know, hopefully we see his progression continue. And, and like you said, get a goal against England, build that confidence, go into the Derby. I mean, the team as a whole, no matter what happens for Dominic Calvert-Lewin in England, um, as long as, you know, international break goes well, the team is, as a whole is probably going into this Derby with more confidence than we've had in a very long time, which is huge for us. Um, so hopefully, fingers crossed, we can, um, you know, you know, keep things going. But Mentioning Dominic Calvert-Lewin scoring every game. He scored again against Brighton this past weekend. Uh, Everton versus Brighton, 4-2. Everton won the game. There were four changes from the West Ham win. Um, Coleman came back in despite obviously not starting um, in the West Ham game. He came in as a sub. Um, Davies, um, Ducore both played. Um, uh, Actually, no, Sigurdsson did play. Um, And then Dean at left back. So um, a little bit of the midfield changes because of the injuries to Allen and um, Gomesh, who would have been able to start, as Ancelotti said, um, if the game were Sunday or Monday, um, or at least play a little bit. Um, but Dominic Calvert-Lewin on 16 minutes, uh, headed the ball in there to put Everton up one nothing. Obviously the mistake by Pickford uh, in the 41st minute that let um, Brighton back in the game a little bit. But then Mina scores in the 45th just before half. Rodriguez adds to it just after half and then Everton kind of take control from there for a little bit, obviously a little frantic at some points towards the end there. Um, Basuma for uh, Brighton getting the second goal, which was an absolutely unbelievable goal. I, you know, even from an Everton perspective, we can say that um, let's start, 
I guess, with the mistake. Let's get it over with. Let's get right into it. Uh, Matt, thoughts on – we talk about this a lot on this podcast, Pickford. And what the kind of general consensus is over him and his play and where Everton are at with him right now. Matthew, I think, was out on him a little bit earlier. I've just recently started to be a little bit more out on Pickford. Where do you stand? Do you know what? I think he, he finds it hard to keep concentrating. It's, it's the only thing I can think. Because we've seen him many a time. He's brilliant. When he's not got to think about it, he can make a save. He can make an incredible save. But give, it, give him time to think about something and he just... It just seems to throw in the odd mistake. Well, not even odd, is it? It's, it's becoming really common now. Um, I think especially in this team, when potentially he's not going to see the ball that often, when we're playing bottom half teams and we're dominating, his, I don't know if it is his mind wandering and he's not paying attention because it's, it's, uh, you know that, I was saying it yesterday, if they get a shot, they'll score because you just can't rely on him in that sort of a game where he's got long periods without the ball. When he's called on and he's been, he's been waiting, he, he, he's just not there. His, his game's not there. And he's, like I say, and it wasn't the only one, is it? There was, there was a couple more that potentially could have cost us a goal. Tom Davis saved us with a, uh, a late block, but... I don't know if the answer is to stick with him. Uh, Ancelotti said that he's not going to bring another keeper in and that Pickford's his number one. So we've got, I suppose we've got to just put it to one side and get behind him. I think I'm kind of at the stage with it now where it's kind of, you almost kind of expect the mistakes really and, and the saves that he makes are almost the anomalies, aren't they? It's like, um, I, I said this, I think I said this last week, but it feels like, the games where he's at his best are where he's busiest. And it feels like when when he's kind of has, you know, less to do for longer periods, he kind of struggles to then suddenly switch and click into gear when he's needed. Um, you look at like his best games for us and, maybe, you know, a lot of them have been against maybe better teams where he's been kind of kept active for, for longer spells. And you look at like, you know, the Fleetwood game, for example, he had nothing to do with them. As soon as they lay a glove on him, he lets two two goals in, doesn't he? So, um, I think the one yesterday. I mean, this, maybe there's an element of recency bias, but I, I feel like that was probably maybe the one of the worst he's ever made. Just because it's not even like it's not even a you know it's not even a fiercely struck you know venomous shot, is it? It's just a looping uh, ball with no real pace on it, and he's just got to catch it and. Um, it's a very simple catch. Isn't so, it? I know it's the most elementary save you could possibly. I mean, especially from an England goalkeeper, you could possibly expect. And you know, um, I have a question for you guys. Yeah, um, go on. Maybe on a different play. Um, you, you, I don't know if you guys remember this one, the one where he parried it back into the middle of yeah. the box there, and it almost cost us another goal. Is that you know? Obviously, I mean, when you look at it, it's like oh, can, you know, I don't know why I put it back in there you know, in real time. But is that something that he would have been able to put anywhere else? Is that, you know, obviously we talk about mistakes. Is Was that a mistake by him or was that, you know, more just him trying to get the ball away and unfortunately that's where it ended up? I think that was definitely, I think that was another mistake. Yeah, because, That's what I think too. Yeah. yeah. 
when you're when you're learning as a keeper, you're always taught if you're punching it, punch it out. Don't punch it back across the box. Don't punch it straight. You've got to get it out. And he's it has it has been slightly unlucky because it has hit a player, um, but it shouldn't even come to that point. It should it should be cleared without you know hesitation. It should be gone. Yeah, and, and that ball wasn't even coming in with that much pace. It's not like that ball was being whipped in there. I felt like he probably even could have caught the ball and fall, fallen down. I felt like that was, you know, kind of a, you know, even, you know, a move where he probably didn't even need to parry it away. But, um, you know, it's it's something that I think gives us a lot of headaches. And when we see the team performing the way it is on other area, in other areas of the pitch, when we see things start to come together, Obviously, last year, you get frustrated with the Pickford mistakes, but there's so many other issues with the team that it's like, okay, you know, maybe he isn't the biggest issue. But now it's starting to become to a point, I think, where he might be the biggest issue on this team. He might be the biggest problem with this team. It might be the difference between a Derby win in two weeks or, or an, a, a League Cup win against Man, uh, Manchester United or a League Cup win in the, in the League Cup final or anything like that. And when you think about that, you know, it's, it's tough to swallow because it's, you know, it's, he's making simple mistakes that most other keepers in the league probably don't make. And that's, I think, the most frustrating part. I think what it is as well is that, like, the, the, save, the, the mistake you highlighted there where he parries it out and Tom Davies gets it clear. I think those kind of errors in his game are you can iron them out with with good coaching and good and you know and good train and good work on the training ground because that's just kind of the the kind of hallmarks of a good goalkeeper. Um but the things like his his mental um sort of flaws, I don't I'm not sure whether you can even kind of get rid of them because I feel like they're kind of innate attributes in, in goalkeepers that you've either got you know, a, a low concentration levels or a short, you know, attention span or not. And I don't feel like they're that easy to, to teach out of someone or to correct. So um, I don't think he's a terrible keeper. I just think he's got very yeah. obvious deficiencies, which maybe mean he's not a good enough goalkeeper for Everton. And, um, I would say, what, what do you think about, like, people who say he's overconfident? You, you know, he pulls the faces when he's made a mistake. I mean, that annoys me, but I don't think it's overconfidence. I think he's actually almost overcompensating for not being confident enough. I think he's almost like a facade. I think he's trying to appear kind of confident to, you know, maybe, you know, be seen to be doing the right thing or to be seen to be in control of situations and, and you know, maybe kind of um, intimidate strikers or whatever. But I don't, I don't actually think he is that confident a goalkeeper, to be honest. I think you see that when we play Newcastle and Liverpool, especially that you know those games where you kind of place up to the the cameras or to the crowd, where who are kind of you know jeering him up the whole game, and and it doesn't really it hasn't really ended well for him the last few games, has it against Newcastle, or Liverpool? So, I mean, I do I feel sorry for him to the to the, in the point that he hasn't had proper competition, has he? I mean, maybe you and Atlasal will come in and and be better than maybe most people expect him to be or but you know Martin Steckenberg was never really good enough to challenge Pickford seriously and um you know Joel Robbo's the same. I don't I don't think he's really been pushed and I think 
you know, good, you know, strong competition for places breeds better performances. I think you see that with someone like Gilfie Sigerson in midfield, for example, where the where the bar has just been raised with the additions of Allen and and uh, Decore, especially, and Sigerson's had to raise his game to kind of keep his place in and around the team. Don't feel like Pickford has that same level of, of competition. I think you've seen that that's probably to his detriment in goal at the moment. Yeah, I think it's um. You know, it, it's part of me wants to root for him. Part of me wants to hit me to see him figure this out. But at the same time, it's like how much more time can we give him to figure it out? And how much more time do we have to let him figure it out? Because the other parts of the squad have gotten to the point now where we're confident in them. And we believe that they can um, go forward and compete against the best of the best. And now that that's there, we need the goalkeeping to come around as well. And I think, you know, last year – a lot of the time, I, you know, even after the restart, we did see him make mistakes and have kind of those grins. This year, he does seem a little bit more less, you know, this is funny and more aggravated by it, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just, you know, not seeing it happen before and, and seeing it more now. Um, but, you know, hopefully he can figure it out. Hopefully he can, um, you know, get it together because – like I said, it's it's the last part of that squad. The, the the missing piece of the puzzle is some good goalkeeping, um, and and you know maybe a couple other things which will you know obviously Ben Godfrey possibly looking like he's coming in at center back to give us some help there while Branthwaite and um, Holgate are heard. but um, but yeah, it feels like Pickford's just that that one missing piece of the puzzle. Um, but on the good side. There's been a lot of good going forward. Um, seven wins from seven in all competitions now. Best start since 1894. And in those seven wins, 24 goals. A long way from the Sam Allardyce era of not having any shots on goal for 20 games. Um, what has been, Matt, maybe, maybe for you, and I think the answer might be pretty obvious, but just to hear what you think, what has been the difference – going forward. Uh, James Rodriguez. <laughs> yeah, that's he, what I thought. He, he's a, an absolute wizard, isn't he? <laughs> he, just, he sees passes that we can't see. And for me, if you've got a player like that in your team, you've got, you're going to get a bag full of goals. That's, that's been Jordan Pickford's saving grace. Is we're a team that can, we know we can score goals. And you always feel like maybe if we do concede, we're still going to score two. Um, just everybody seems to have stepped up their game. Like you said about Sigurdsson, he's got competition now. And I think what we've seen from him this season, he's it, like a different player to, from last season. He's been really good and I've really enjoyed what I've been one of his biggest critics on, on Twitter, Gilfie Sigurdsson, but uh, he's really impressed me this season. I, I um, Matthew is too. <laughs> yeah. No, but like, it reminded me of, I don't know if either of you watched um, Howard's Way, the film, but it reminded me yeah. of a line in that where, I can't remember who was who said it, but I think one of the, the guys who was in that team was saying, in the um, 85 team, was saying that like, you had these kind of fringe players who would come in and do a job and then you know go out the team again when sort of you know first choice players were back. And it kind of reminds me of, of like, I kind of see that in players like Sigurdsson where, um, you know, he. I don't think he should be a regular anymore in like our strongest eleven anyway. But I think he did a good enough job yesterday. I thought Tom Davies um, had one of his better games and did a decent job filling in at right back. 
as well. Um, and if that is like these kind of players' remit now is to just come in and and do a job and uh, you know keep keep things taking over while say Allen is out or Gomez is out or whatever, then um, that's that's probably you know the right role for them to have. And I feel like um, we probably won that game in midfield yesterday, to be honest, because especially Decore, I thought Decore was absolutely fantastic yesterday. I thought he was probably the, even Rodriguez, despite his two goals, I thought. Decore was just my man of the match just because of the way he, he he's so powerful and he, the way he just drives us forward almost single-handedly. And I was pleased when he got the assist for one of Rodriguez's goals because I felt he deserved that. He uh, never stopped running, did he? He's so energetic, isn't he? And he's absolutely everything that we didn't have in that midfield last year in terms of legs and power and drive. And um, he's such a good signing. Um, and yeah, I mean, twenty-four goals in seven games. I was trying to think how long it took us to score. It. 24 goals last season it's probably you know by the time Silva was sacked in December I think we probably wouldn't have reached that even by then if we, yeah. I don't think we scored four goals I was trying to think I don't think we scored four goals at all last season we've been one game and we scored at least four what four times now this season yeah um, so and we didn't win I think we won one game by more than a goal under Ancelotti last year and um, we thought we'd done that four times is it already so um I guess the only blot is the two goals. But then, like, I, I kind of... Part of me wants to say, you know, I'm a bit worried about how, how many goals we're letting in. But then, you know, you think... The first one was just a, a goalkeeping mistake. The second one was, you know, worldie, which is kind of the same against West Brom or Fleetwood or West Ham. So I don't really think you can get particularly angry at the defence. I thought Yerry Mina was great, for example, yesterday. Um, I think we've defended pretty well as a team so far. Um, despite these goals going in. So, um, and I think, to be honest, I was expecting Brighton to maybe be one of our toughest games this season. And um, there were parts of that game where I thought maybe they were edging it. Maybe, I think maybe the first half when Richarlison went off, we started really well, but I think you saw maybe a drop-off when Richarlison went off. And, you know, and in hindsight, maybe he shouldn't have started. But um, a really another really encouraging win, I thought. Overall, yeah, and, and just to clarify uh, that, Matthew, nev- not in the Premier League did we score four goals at all last year. Um, <laughs> if I'm reading this right, the only time we did was against Lincoln City. Yeah, we won this four two, um, but that was the only time we scored four goals at all last year. So definitely an improvement there. And like you said, um, I think the biggest thing, one of the biggest worries, I think for or one of the bigger worries, maybe, maybe not the biggest, um, coming into the season for Everton fans and, and probably Everton themselves, was the depth. We were starting to get those players in those first 11 positions, but would the depth be there? And I think now we're starting to see some of these players who were in the starting lineup and now are coming off the bench start to show that they have quality to come off the bench and that they're you know stepping it up a bit. And it gets you a little bit more comfortable with that depth and Clearly, we can go out there and, and against the West Ham United, where we have, you know, half of our first team squad, go out there and beat them four to one, which is even in, you know, even when we play our full strength squad last year against a team in the League Cup, for example, Norwich, when we lost, I think we lost the League Cup in Norwich maybe two years ago or something like that, where we lose two nothing or we lose to a team that we should beat two nothing. Um, 
we never had that confidence in the second team to get it done. But I feel like now the quality has stepped up on the first team and the quality stepped up on the second team. And now we're starting to see this all come together and, and starting, you know, to see the quality, see the little things that maybe brands or the people that brought in these other players saw in these players, um, but just in a different role and maybe a role that suits them more fittingly now years down the road and in, in the, you know, shape and, you know, however old they are rather than they did in a starting role, you know, a few years ago, but um, anything else? Um, obviously you mentioned Richarlison, Matthew um, taken off midway through the half, but it looks like he will be ready for the Derby, which is good. Um, fingers crossed that that keeps moving in the right direction. Um, anything else, Matthew or Matt, that you wanted to mention about this game? I would I'd maybe just run through Pete's stats about Rodriguez in, in the article he did, um, just to put it into some con- kind of context. Um, so there's three goals and the sixth best in the league at the moment. Two assists at the second best. His four big chances created at the second best. Um, his 12 key passes to the second best to uh, De Bruyne. Um, and his pass success rate in this game was 86.9%. So um, even if he doesn't sprint, he's still, you know... <laughs> Um, he's easily, I think, Evans' most technically gifted player, isn't he? And, uh, he obviously he clearly loves playing in France a lot as well, doesn't he? You can clearly tell there's a real rapport there. And um, I think as well as Rodriguez, I think they just seem like the merits of good coaching. I think you see like the improvement in players like Michael Keane and Yerry Mina, Seamus Coleman, um, Rodriguez, uh, Richarlison, Calvert Lewin, and um, that's what good managers do. I think they don't just you don't have to sort of come in and spend hundreds of millions of pounds um, to form a good team if you're a good manager. You, you know, you can improve what you've got. And I think Ancelotti's definitely done that with a lot of the players that he's inherited out of him as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, it's good good signs all around from Ancelotti. Um, Rodriguez, I mean, even when Rodriguez was, it felt like he was getting closed down. A lot of these, uh, the last couple games, I feel like he's always had a defender on his back. He's always... You know, and some of the things that he was able to do maybe in the first couple of games weren't opening up for him as much, and he still found a way to get it done, whether it be by assists, by goals, whatever it is, he's he's there, he's getting it done. And, I mean, it's tremendous to have a player like that to add to someone like Richarlison or Calvert-Loon who have that talent. Um, it's been a lot of fun to watch, and um, it's it's been really good here for Everton. Uh, a lot of a lot of good things going on, and, and as we end – enter the transfer window deadline day uh, tomorrow, October 5th, um, and end things here for bringing in players for the time being. Looks like Everton's going to bring in Ben Godfrey from Norwich, uh, a a player who can play center back, center defensive mid. Um, Matthew did talk uh, uh, recently to a couple guys about Godfrey who know him from from his time at Shrewsbury and his time at Norwich. But before we get to that interview, that recorded interview, um, Matt, What's your opinion on Godfrey and, and what you've seen of him and how do you think he fits into the squad? Uh, for me, don't know a massive amount of him. Um, I, I saw a bit of him last season, um, but Norwich was so poor defensively that I, I don't know if you got to see the best of him. Um, the, pretty much the most I've seen is a video of him boxing. So <laughs> my, my, uh, my opinion probably doesn't hold much weight. Um, but he looks big, he looks strong. Uh, I'm told that he's good on the ball, uh, good in the tackle. So 
I mean, that's what we want, isn't it? To just like we said, we need a bit of depth, um, especially in that area. Um, so I'm, I'm just excited to see him play. Yeah, I think um, just when I when I did the interviews this week with um, obviously Ollie from Salopcast, the Shrewsbury podcast, uh, the one and only Shrewsbury podcast, he told me apparently. <laughs> um, he said. Um, you know, he played mostly defensive midfield for them and, and helped them. They had a really good season with him and uh, got to the playoff final in League One. Uh, and he was absolutely integral and, and basically said, as you'll hear in a minute, that he was kind of a class above in that team, you know. Um, and uh, my my, uh, my friend Alex Murray, who I spoke to, who's a big Norwich fan, just said, you know, great attitude and, uh, you know, kind of almost that we got a snip really at 25 and, uh, featuring an international, hopefully, and I hope, hopefully, I don't think anyone sees him as like an instant uh, replacement for anyone, or like an instant fit in the, in the starting eleven. But someone who hopefully will kind of grow under Ancelotti's coaching and management, and uh, be an event regular for years to come. I think. Yeah, I mean, again, I don't know too much. I'm like Matt. I don't know too much about Godfrey. Um, looks like he's going to be a good signing. He's a young centre back. Looks like he can bring a lot of quality to the team. Um, his build is similar to Mason Holgate's build, uh, both six feet tall. Um, so, I mean, if we can get a couple Mason Holgates in there. Uh, that's always good for the depth as well. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Um, obviously, not nothing wrapped up, nothing official at time of recording. But hopefully by the time uh, the podcast is released, that will be official and we will have news on him as well. Um, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you and, and talking to uh, you about really everything uh, that's been going on in your life the last <laughs> couple of weeks and getting to talk a little bit of Everton too. Um, with that, we're going to cut over to Matthew's interview with Ali from the Salopcast and uh, his interview with Alex Murray. Um, and we'll get to that right now. Okay, so delighted to say um, I'm joined by Ollie Warner from the, the, one, the one and only Shrewsbury podcast, uh, Salopcast. Um, Ollie's going to talk to, to us a bit about uh, Ben Godfrey, who at the time recording is set to sign Everton. Uh, Godfrey spent uh, the 2017-18 season on loan at Shrewsbury, uh, helping them to get to the Checker Trade Trophy Final and the League One Player Final. Uh, Ollie, how are you doing, first of all? Hi. Hi, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no worries. Uh, great to talk to you. Obviously, wanted to kind of get your insight because... Um, Godfrey, I guess, is ostensibly a centre-back. That's how he's come through at Norwich. That's where he's played most of the time. But um, didn't play there for Shrewsbury. Was signed as, uh, I guess, a defensive midfielder. Played played over 50 games um, in that season. Um, and I guess Shrewsbury's formation that year was kind of similar to the way I've been playing now. It was kind of uh, a midfield three. I think maybe you could say Shrewsbury had more sort of out-and-out wingers than Everton did, who were more like inside forwards. Um, but, I mean, first of all, I guess, what was what did you make of Godfrey in that season as a defensive midfielder? Yeah, in, in terms of formation, we played a kind of cross between the original Jose 4-3-3, 4-1-4-1, if you know what I mean. And yeah, Ben Godfrey was playing in that deep role. Um, his debut... Um, he turned up, and we were playing away at Oxford on the. I think it must have been the yeah the first away game of the season, and he he missed the first game of the season at home to Northampton, 
and um, we signed him on the Thursday or the Friday. Um, and he was in the starting lineup, and we're like, oh, okay, right, that's a bit of a surprise. Um, and obviously, you know, we'd never heard of Ben Crod before. He was 19 year old on loan from Norwich. And it's fair to say he was the best player on the park, and he had one max training session with the players. Um, he was just spraying balls left, right, and center. Um, running the, the game um, and physically as well he was, he was really dominant this is 19 year old just coming to the squad um, we have a lot of senior pros we had a lot of experienced older players we had, that, we had Dean Henderson in goal which is just hilarious now look at that team we had yeah, Ben Godfrey and Dean Henderson which if you total them up probably worth over 50-60 million if you added both their kind of values up but yeah he was fantastic um, in that first game and yeah he, to play 51 games being 19 is quite a, an amazing achievement so Godfrey was kind of the, the deepest midfielder of the, of the three. Obviously, you had um, Shrewsbury had primarily it was um, John Nolan and uh, Agogo. So they were they were sort of was was Godfrey kind of the anchor in that midfield then, or was was he kind of a bit further forward with Nolan and Agogo sitting? Yeah, it was actually it was a really interesting point. It was that was probably one of the tricks of our team is that we had a really dynamic three. So yeah, Ben. Godfrey would always be sitting, uh, but if he did bomb on, a go-go would cover for him, and he did have that kind of in his game, but yeah, he pretty much sat and played as a pivot. Um, sometimes a go-go would kind of play next to him, and then Nolan in front of them, but then sometimes, yeah, he'd sit, and then uh, Nolan would almost play as a 10, so really fluid midfield, which is obviously something that Everton are doing really well at the moment, having quite a fluid midfield. So yeah, he played more as a defensive midfielder, and I think he actually played one or two games at right-back as well. Um, he might, I can't remember if someone got sent off and he covered there, but he definitely played right back at some point as well. Did he ever, did he ever play centre-back as well? No, never no, played no. centre-back for us. Okay. And it's really funny, if you ask Shrewsbury Town fans where does Ben Godfrey play, they'd all say he's a defensive midfielder. When we oh. signed him, he was a defender. Yeah, yeah so Shrewsbury Town fans think he's a defensive midfielder. Um, we signed him, and I remember Paul Hurst at the time saying um, he was a defender. But yeah, we played him. He, Paul Hurst clearly signed him as a defensive midfielder. Um. Um, obviously, I mean, I've not heard anyone sort of um, describe him as a right back. How did he do there on the on the, on the other occasion? That um, he was really he's yeah he's such a calm, composed player. He did fine. He's um, yeah he's a player that I would say yeah it's not his, his preferred position. But I think if you're in a game and you, yeah, James Coleman had to go off for a reason, and you needed someone just to cover and you didn't want to sub, I'd say definitely he could do a job there. And um, because he's yeah he's six foot, so he's not. You know, he's not six foot four, uh, and he's got he's quite pacey. So yeah, I think if you needed him to do a job in an emergency, he could definitely do that. And for me, probably is a good addition to Everton because he does have that flexibility. It'd be fascinating to see where he does play for Everton, whether it be he plays central events or defence midfield. But I think that's it might be a good asset that because um, our sort of second choice right back, John Joe Kenny's just uh, picked up an injury for about a month, so maybe we'll see Godfrey makes debut at right back. I don't know, um, <laughs> but. Um, one thing I noticed about that season for Shrewsbury was it you you, um, you won a lot of games by sort of one goal, quite sort of tight, gritty games by the looks of um, most of them. Um, and I think 39 goals conceded in, in the league, which was the second lowest. Um, how, obviously, you had the centre-back uh, pairing of Siala and Sadler, which were kind of mainstays. Um, and kind of the, the rock of that sort of defensive line. But how, how important was Godfrey in, in that defensive effort then? Yeah, he was really, he's really key. If I think of like, what do I remember of Ben Godfrey? It was kind of like his box-to-box physicality, but also he was really good at sweeping. 
So I can remember quite a few times teams would try to hit us on the counter-attack. And quite a few times, you know, that kind of run where a winger tries to kind of counter-attack and he takes everything out, the ball, the player and everyone, and they go flying off the pitch. I can remember him doing that quite a few times. So he was really good at covering and, and watching for runs. Um, I'd say he's, he's 19. Um, you have to remember that when we saw him. And he was really intelligent. So he would do the really clever positional things. And thinking about now, I guess that's why. Maybe that was the plan with Norwich. Norwich were like, you take him on loan, you play in a different position, and that's going to be part of your development. Um, but yeah, he was very good at sweeping and covering up. Uh, and he was intelligent for his age. And did you did you think then that you would go on to be like? Did you see a, a future twenty five million pound Premier League player in in Ben Godfrey even then? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there was we had we had Henderson who was just ridiculous. It was like we were, had a cheat code in <laughs> League One having Dean Henderson in goal. Some of the saves he made was unbelievable. Um, and yeah, Ben Godfrey was the same. He was just you could just tell he was absolute class. Um, and I was really pleased him to go and start playing in the Norwich um, team as soon as he did um, and yeah I've seen rumours of with Liverpool being mentioned with him in over recent years uh, since he's been playing for Norwich and it wouldn't have surprised me if the top six teams had signed him he's that he, I've rated him that highly. Um, and one of the other things I was going to say was um, I think I, I think kind of loans are, are more common obviously among lower league clubs maybe than um, certainly like top six or top top half Premier League maybe but um, I guess one thing that you could maybe say about some loanees is like is that are they fully in it so like are they are they given 100% but it, it seems from from what I've read and what I've seen what I saw of Shrewsbury um, a bit and you know that you mentioned Henderson there as well he was obviously on loan from United that Henderson and Godfrey there's never really any question mark about their attitude or their application I think it seemed like they really bought into Shrewsbury and really really kind of um, invested themselves in the club in the, in the one season they were there. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned actually, I um, replied to a tweet um, um, for, um, for your athletic uh, correspondent, Patrick, and I've replied to him um, saying that, you know, you're not just signing a really good footballer, you're signing the player off the pitch as well. And he, yeah, he, he's very, he seemed very disciplined. I can't remember him picking up any like yellow cards or being, being daft. And he settled in really well. Um, Shrewsbury have got quite a good rep of signing players, taking them on loan and, and developing them. So, yeah, you say Dean Henderson is one of them. He really progressed in that year. Um, and then, yeah, Ben Godfrey was another one. And, yeah, we've got quite a good record now of bringing players in on loan, giving them some, that first-team experience and then pushing on. But in terms of his mentality and, and that, yeah, he seems like a really, really hard-working player. You know, he never stopped. And when you saw him, um, when we, you know, when you saw him celebrate a goal, he did it like he was one of our players. You know, you know, you never thought, oh, he wasn't really too bothered. And you see some of the photos, um, and you look back now at some of the photos and the celebrations. He was, yeah, he gave it one hundred percent commitment. So that's why, for me, he, as you know, commitment and, and a player's drive is a massive thing about them pushing on. Um, he seems quite an intelligent bloke. Um, so yeah, I think he's got all the kind of the the attributes and the the potential to really push on. Yeah, I watched his, uh, his goal for Shrewsbury against Southend last night. It was just absolute belter, I would suggest anyone. Uh, yeah, I can't remember if that was the game where he scored and he celebrated, or another one where he kind of like celebrated and fell over. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was, yeah, he was quite a funny... funny have, you seen, have you seen Phil Jagielka's goal in the derby that he scored a few years ago? That's probably the closest thing I would compare it to. Where he just absolutely leathers it from outside the penalty box, which 
Um, I think he scored a few of them for Norwich as well, so a few more of them would be nice. Um, so you talk about his mentality then. Is there any other particular strengths or maybe, obviously, he's, he's kicked on since, since Shrewsbury, obviously playing at a high level, but were there any weaknesses in his game that you saw at all, as well as strengths and weaknesses as a defensive midfielder? No, none at all. Um, no, no, yeah, he was really good at tackling. He was pretty, obviously, League One is quite tough. Um, so to succeed in, in that in that side, and as you mentioned before, um, in terms of how we played, yeah, we were a low percent, low possession, counter-attacking team that played in a low block. So we had a lot of work to do, um, but he never let us down. You know, like there's a many 19-year-olds have played 51 games in their first season. Um, that thing that just shows you how well he kind of looked after himself. Um, but also, yeah, in terms of weaknesses, I can't think of any playing at that level, at the level we're playing in League One. Pace, strength, passing, tackling, heading. Um, yeah, he was really solid. So overall then, um, you think I think you've got a steal. Really? <laughs> I think, you, yeah, I think if, if, if I was reading if, if Norwich had, had stayed up, they would have wanted more like 50 million. Mm. And it wouldn't surprise me if, if, he, if he really pushes on um, and plays for England. I remember when we had him and Henderson, people were saying, and it seems silly at the time, but genuinely they looked like two England internationals in the making. Okay. That's how good, we, how yeah. good they were. And it was, it was a bit of a cheat. And that was the thing about having, and that's why for us, getting those players online. So we had Tyrese Campbell on loan a couple of years ago, who's at Stoke. Kevin Campbell's son. A couple of goals. Yeah, Kevin Campbell's son. Yeah, Kevin Campbell's actually went to quite a few away games. I remember celebrating near him away, at Gillingham away, which is a bit random. Um, but yeah, um, sometimes we get in those players makes a big difference and they really stand out. Um, and that's why yeah, we've, we've got a good record now of actually signing. We're in our third season of signing a lone goalkeeper. And yeah, having an extra extra player um, can sometimes make a big difference in your season. And I'd say, yeah, Ben Godfrey was a big part of the success that season. Great stuff. Well, we've already got one new England international this week with Dominic Calvert-Lewin. So uh, hopefully Ben Godfrey can be the next one. And uh, I think that's an interesting point about his nationality. And I think sometimes, I don't know, we will be rude about fans, but sometimes fans don't necessarily think about, you know, moving to another country. He hasn't got that worry. Yeah. You know, he's, he's been on loan at Shrewsbury. He's been on loan. He's moved clubs before. He's going to transfer from, from Norwich and move to Liverpool. And I wouldn't see any kind of settling in period for him. I wouldn't be surprised if he's you know, in the squad straight away. And what, obviously this season being so intense, you, know, you want players that are going to be able to be ready to play straight away. Yeah, I think it, it seems like he's made pretty good sort of incremental progress in full season in League One, full season in the Championship. Obviously a tough year last year in the Premier League, but feels like he's ready now for his, like, his big move. And, and hopefully, whether it's as a defensive midfielder at Shrewsbury or more as a centre-back or maybe even a right-back uh, on occasion, hopefully he can uh, sort of replicate his Shrewsbury form-wise at Evan. Um, Ollie, thanks very much for taking the time and it's really great to get your insight into Godfrey more as a defensive midfielder um, so yeah thanks very much for the chance us no worries thanks for having me on and yeah fingers crossed he'll do well for you okay uh, joined now by a good friend of mine and very staunch Norwich City fan Alex Murray Alex good to talk to you again mate how are you doing yeah I'm good good all the better for Everton pinching that one of Norwich's biggest assets, I guess. Yeah, it's fun watching the team that was so good two seasons ago completely be dismantled by Premier League clubs. It's great. <laughs> so we just uh, obviously just listened to Ollie from 
saw Cass talk about Godfrey as a defensive midfielder. We're going to talk to Alex now uh, because Ben Godfrey's obviously come through at Norwich um, primarily as a centre back. Um, obviously, Godfrey signed. He signed Godfrey in 2016, January 2016, I think. Same when yeah. he signed Stephen Naismith, I think. Uh, uh, a couple, he made a couple of appearances like the year after that, and then obviously went on loan to Shrewsbury. Came back to Norwich uh, for the 18-19 season. Um, I guess the first thing I wanted to ask you was, did Daniel Fark move him straight to centre-back, or did he play at all defensive midfield for you last 18-19 uh, season? Yeah, like um, he basically went straight in. At centre back, um, I've always been a like a person who believes we should have tried him at uh, central defensive midfield, just because, um, especially last season, it was an area we very much lacked in, and I thought he would be the perfect player to like come back, get the ball, and also have the defensive capabilities that a player like Alex Tete didn't really have. But yeah, he's been a centre half the entire time. He's played in the first team at Norwich. I don't know whether he played in the youth setup in um, a more midfield role, but Daniel Farker has always been in very much of the opinion that he's a centre-back and not a central defensive midfielder. Um, Which, yeah. <laughs> I've, always, uh, I've always been CDM. But. Yeah, I was going to, I mean, you kind of alluded to it there, but I was going to ask you later, I may as well ask you it now. Long, longer term then, do you, do you think Godfrey more likely to be a defensive midfielder? Um, no, just because of where he's played at Norwich. I mean, Godfrey, in my opinion, is kind of the quintessential modern central defender. Like, but managers like Pep Guardiola have kind of made the norm almost. Like how goalkeepers are now all, almost have to control the ball with their feet. I feel that uh, Godfrey is a defender who can do it all, really. He can... He can. He's very good with his feet. He can start. He can start plays at the back, uh, but at the same time, he's not um, held back by. He's. He can defend as well, and I think that gives him all the qualities that a modern central defender me, needs. I mean, personally, I prefer. I'd prefer him to see him in a more midfield role because I feel he, during games, he can just start a run, and bring the game forward and if you're playing at centre-half and if you make an error there, which is kind of what crushed us last season, is that once players are out of position, you're hitting the break, we were we just fell apart. But you'll see it sometimes, especially when behind, Godfrey would just pick the ball up at the back and just dart forward and he'd be able to like start plays and some defenders that completely struggle with that because then they don't have the technical ability to transition to a more attacking mindset but Godfrey you like kept it in his stride and he scored goals from outside the box and I think that's all you need to know that he's a kind of very versatile defender who can also when it get when he gets forward he can also provide the goods. Yeah I mean let's uh, talk a bit about that promotion season I think um, I think 36 games four goals and like you said some of them were kind of long range like worldies I guess you would call them. Um, how how important was he to that promotion season? Do you think? I mean, because Norwich completely walked walked away with the league in the end. <laughs> I won't call it walked just because of how the the pressure we had all season. But yeah, he was 
considering his age and the fact that before that he'd played League One football, that's the only like, top level, I mean, top level, but that's the only football he'd played. And to put into a new role, and he, didn't, he looked like he'd been playing it his entire career. You'd never have thought that he was playing central defence and mid at Shrewsbury the season before. And uh, yeah, he was so important. Um, Norwich had, uh, it was him and Zimmerman for the most part. And um, sometimes uh, Tim, Tim Closer. But um, Godfrey was so key just because it was part of that new, the new mindset that we had going into the season that we were going to play our way. And Godfrey being able to pass out the ball and, like I said, these darting runs he did before us. And some, sometimes that brought us goals. And just, he didn't, for a player, the main point really is that for his age, he, he looked like he completely comfortable. And for some, I think that's more of a trait of how the game's going, but he just looked completely comfortable where he was. And yeah, when I think we'll allude to this, the Premier League season, he wasn't as good. But I think that's just more of the level he was playing at and who he's playing with. But in the championship, he excelled massively. How do you think? How do you think he? How would you have rated his season last year? Obviously, really tough for Norwich, um, going straight back down. Seventy-five goals was the most any team let in. Godfrey played, I think, all but five games. Um, how? I guess you've seen kind of relegated teams have players nicked, and then those players go on to do well for other clubs. So I don't think anyone's like writing Godfrey off because he was in the worst team in the league last year. But how do you think he? individually dealt with his first season of Premier League football? It's a tough one to talk about, really, just because of the situation Norwich had all season. We had we, we had points where he was the only fit centre-half. So when you're asking him to lead a defence made of him and a, cent- and a DM, which was Alex Tetty, he was not a good centre-half. You're asking a lot, but it's a weird season because he did make a few errors. Um if you look at a lot of the goals, he was somewhere responsible for it. And I don't mean to put you off him already, but I think that's more of Norwich City as a defensive outlet than him. Yeah. Because I because of just how poor we were defensively. I mean, a lot of the goals are set pieces. We do zonal marking. I don't believe in it and it doesn't seem to work for us. Um but yeah, I think it was more the fact of how we played, how we tried to play, the somewhat naivety of Daniel Farker's tactics sometimes um, that kind of hindered us because he was put into situations where unless you're a top world-class defender, you're not going to be able to stop anything. But I think that I think more Godfrey has more potential than was shown last season. I think a lot of players didn't really show their best. And I think he was one of them, really. Uh, But it wasn't a perfect season for him. I'm not going to just say right off the fact that he did make a lot of errors. But we were a relegated side at the bottom of the league who, you know, went down quite with a whimper. So, I mean, you you can't really say that he was awful. You can't say he was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I think the only goal he scored last season was that own goal against Burnley, where he sort of diverged. <laughs> but I mean, I think, I think Norwich were down to nine men at that point, weren't you? And yeah. kind of already down and on the floor. So, <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't read too much into that. Um, obviously, I saw him at Goodison last year when he beat us, and 
I'm not going to pretend that he had loads to do because everyone were absolutely wretched that day. That day, but um, he looked solid. He looked pretty comfortable on the ball and, and composing. Uh, obviously, kept I think Norwich's first clean sheet of the season that day. So um, he was certainly impressive when I saw him that day. Um, and I know I see he's played all three of Norwich's league games this season. Um, I think we were calling this on Friday when Daniel Falk said that he's not been training today, so I doubt you'll see him play this weekend if, if the signing hasn't gone through. Um, but have you have you seen any sort of not attitude problems, but like does he has he still seem like fully fully committed? He's not seem like someone who's pushing for a move or anything like that. Um, I mean, but the guy Ollie from Shrewsbury was just like applauding his attitude and, and how how much he brought into Shrewsbury while he's on loan there. On loan there, I'm just wondering if it's He's been like that even like the last few weeks when he's been linked with moves and things like that. Um, I think there's two very different contrasts at Norwich at the minute. Um, if you look at the likes of Ben and Matt, Ben Godfrey and Max Ahrens, who's been linked with probably about every top side in Europe and has seen a move to Barcelona collapse and possibly a Bayern Munich move collapse. And then you have Ben, who, I mean, this has kind of come out of the blue very much because for a few weeks ago there was not even a like whisper of him leaving the club and then all these bids have suddenly come up but um I Ben has been completely committed he's been in training um he's been played he's played all our three games you wouldn't know that there was all this speculation surrounding him um then on the <laughs> the other hand you look at um the likes of Todd Campbell and Emmy Buendia who have kind of done the opposite. Uh, Campwell, he didn't play uh, last weekend in the loss to Bournemouth. Um, I think he did play the week before, but looked completely disinterested. It was, could have been anywhere else uh, with the draw against Preston. Um, and then Emi Buendia, uh, a kind of reputable in-the-know guy, uh, said recently that there'd not even been a sniff of interest, not even an email about Buendia. And that corresponded in him going to the press and basically doing a come-and-get-me plea, which has seen him dropped. He was dropped last weekend with an injury, which, in a is, not, <laughs> which is the classic I-want-to-transfer injury that magically popped up. Um, <laughs> And the manager refused to comment on him starting uh, this weekend's game against Derby. Um, yeah, and not seen think, nothing like that from Godfrey, though. Nothing like that from Godfrey. He's been he's been a completely profes- professional manner. He's dealt with it in a professional manner. That he's played until he's not. <laughs> he's off to another club, and I think I don't think you can ask much more from him. Um, the club gave him his debut and made him into what he is today. And I think a move to Everton's deserved. And I, he's probably one of the players I'd rather not leave the club if I had to let him go because he's been that good for us. And yeah, I, I think he's just dealt with it in the completely right way, unlike some other players. What, what are, would you say his biggest, um, biggest strengths on his biggest uh, rooms, like room for improvement areas? Like the biggest strength is, like I've said, he's the modern defender. He's yeah. able to, he's 
he's able to move forward. He's able to do a lot more things going forward than I say, a traditional English centre-half would ever do. Um, but again, the weakness is he, he makes those mistakes. But I don't think you can ask for much more from a young defender who's in a very weak defence. I mean, going into a defence like Everton, who have more, I'd say, more experienced defenders, defenders who um, aren't central defensive midfielders, um, which Norwich had for the majority of last season. I think that's just able gives him a lot more like certainty, I guess. Like that, and the way Everton play is obviously a, a lot different to how Norwich set up last season, and they have the quality so that Godfrey can thrive, I guess. So I feel that, yeah, he won't be the perfect. And I don't think he's the answer right now, but maybe in a season, a season and a half, I think he can easily. You could even, well, considering England's defence situation, easily consider him to be like near that England team. Yeah, I think that's the impression most Everton fans get that he's not going to be someone who will necessarily walk into the team straight away, but. Um... Look at like the players Ancelotti brought in so far, and the number of players who've improved under Ancelotti. I think a lot of people um, in Everton circles seem excited and, and pleased with this um, signing. From your point of view, do you think do you think it's a good signing for Everton and a good move for Godfrey? As much as you don't want him to leave Norwich, obviously. Yeah, I, I genuinely think it's the best moves for both parties. Um, that Godfrey, obviously, you want to play in the Premier League, and he's getting into a side who are playing really good football at the minute. I don't think you can ask for much more from a club. Like I looked at Fulham, were obviously interested as well, but that to me, a move to Fulham is just a move sideways because you're going to be playing Championship football next season. Whatever. I mean, it, it, may, it may be too early to write off Fulham at this point, but the way they're just going a scattergun of transfers now because they've realised they need to sign someone to get that quality. I feel that they're a move to Everton because I don't think he starts every week um, yet, but I think he has to learn Carlo's system first. And when he's given some games, and eventually, I think by the end of the, I think by the end of the season, you're saying he's the start. He's in the starting lineup. But yeah, I don't think calling him the answer and the get rid of all of Everton's defensive problems. I don't think he does that, but. No, I think that I think that Ben Godfrey is an England international every starting eleven in four or five years. Good stuff. Fingers crossed. Uh, Alex, thanks very much for talking to us about Godfrey, and uh, yeah, good to catch up again, mate. Anyway, my pleasure. All right, a big thank you to Ali and Alex for giving that insight on Godfrey. Uh, very much appreciated as uh, as we hope to get him in and. And, uh, you know, get him in the squad and, and add to this already talented squad moving forward here and, and fill a, a need that we currently have in a depth issue at, at center back. So, so thank you guys for giving us that insight. Um, now moving on to some Everton women's team talk. And for that, we'll bring in Royal Blue Mersey's uh, own women's team reporter covering the women's team, uh, Ian Decker. He joined us a few weeks ago when he um, – you know, initially joined the site to talk a little bit about Everton women's team. And it's been a pretty exciting week, Ian, uh, for the Everton women. Um, a lot of great results 
I mean, as someone who is following the team very closely, what's kind of been going on the past few weeks? What's been going through your mind on how this team has progressed here uh, since the start of the season? Absolutely, yeah. Thanks for – good to be back. Um, so the past week, uh, the Everson women's team have played three games, two in the FA Cup, which is um, the – they're playing the – finishing the tournament from last season that, have cut, of course, was cut short. And then today uh, they beat Aston Villa in the WSL, a league game. Um, three games, 11 goals scored, only one goal against. Um, a punch, They punched their ticket to the FA Cup final, which we played on November 1st against Man City. Um, they currently sit top of the league um, and have taken three games of three, nine points, they have scored 11 goals in the league and have conceded none. So it has been a really exciting time. And Willie Kirk has his team playing some excellent football. Yeah, so let's just start off with that first game of this week, really. It's been a crazy week. Um, the FA Cup quarterfinal, which took place on Sunday, September 27th um, at Goodison Park. Everton beating Chelsea 2-1. to one. Um, Aaron Cuthbert uh, put last season's title winners Chelsea in front after five minutes, but they uh, the Everton women's team managed to fight back there with uh, Lucy Graham and Valerie Govin um, scoring both the goals to put Everton ahead for good. Tell us a little bit about this game, Ian. You wrote the match report. Um, you watched the game. What stood out to you about this match, and, and how did the Everton women's team play in this one? Yeah, I think the one word I would use to res uh, to sum up this game is resi resiliency. Um, Chelsea were dominant in the first 10. Everton barely had a touch. And, you know, after the fifth-minute goal, um, you know, it was, it was a cross that Danielle Turner was beaten on the left side and a ball was sent in. Copper picked it up. You know, it, it, the Everton defense was slow to close down and she buried it to the bottom left corner. And at that point, you know, it was, it was they were looking like they were out of the match. But – the team fought back, and after the 10th minute, the possession was more or less even, and, uh, you know, they scored right on the stroke of halftime. Um, with about five minutes to go, uh, Ingrid Mo Wold picked the ball up, sent a great ball in, and uh, Lucy Graham diving header finished it. And so they, they definitely had the momentum swing going into the half, and then they, they took that momentum into the second half, for sure. Chelsea, had, Chelsea definitely had their opportunities, but when they, when they were threatening, Sandy McIver in net came up big for Everton. And then, you know, Haley Raso came on as a substitute and picked the ball up on the, on the left side, kind of, she initially took a shot in, which ricocheted off the defender. She picked it back up and then sent a ball into Govan who got goal side of her defender. And I mean, Govan is a really, is a, is a really quality striker. Um, she, she has an excellent nose for goal and she got in front of her, her defender and put a header past, past the goalie. So it was, you know, and then in the last 10, 15 minutes, of course, Chelsea mounted a late attack and Everton, they, they did well to see out the game. Yeah. I mean, uh, clearly a, a great performance there. Um, Chelsea, obviously not an easy opponent, especially in an FA cup quarterfinal, um, but a great result there. And then obviously following it up with the FA cup semifinal, a little, little easier for the Toffees here, uh, the Toffee women's team here as they won this one over Birmingham, 3-0. Uh, uh, Simone Magill, um, Nicolene Sorensen, and Govin again, uh, all scoring goals for 
the Toffees. Maybe differences in this game between the this semifinal and the quarterfinal. Um, and again, break it down for us. Yeah, sure. So this one started a little bit. It was a little bit more back and forth. Uh, Birmingham really revolutionized their defense this year. Uh, they brought in Rachel Corsi uh, on loan from the Utah Royal in the NWSL, and she's really helped stabilize their defense. And so you know, in the beginning, neither team really could establish much of a rhythm. It you know moves forward up the pitch really broke down and with the final several passes. And, and it, it was, a, it was definitely a tough game for Everton to get into for sure. Um, but, but again, you know, I mean, the team, you know, Birmingham is, was a much weaker team absolutely than, than Chelsea was. And so Everton were able to kind of later in the game, pick up possession and, and really see out the game. Birmingham didn't really threaten McIver. She didn't have to do as much as she did against Chelsea and, and again, the goal scoring, you know, it's, they brought in Gauvin, who, who was an incredible, incredibly prolific striker for uh, Montpellier for several years, but she's been starting on the bench because Simone McGill, who's a Northern Ireland international, has been playing really well for Everton. And, and again, to, you know, against Birmingham, she showed Izzy Christensen got a ball from the wing, which she one touched right into the path of McGill, who finished, you know, hit a rocket of a shot into goal. Um, you know, and then again, Gavan off the bench, got got her second goal in the uh, in the competition, fourth of the season. So it, you know, it's just another another really strong performance by the team. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, just to clarify for our our listeners um, at home, this is Everton's first FA Cup final since 2014. Is that correct? And and the first chance to win since 2010. Correct. And. The other thing I would ask is how much you mentioned that this is a continuation from last year's FA Cup. How much has that helped this, this women's team um, having that, that summer and that break and that time off to, you know, maybe get some new players in um, how much that help? And you think that this would have been possible. This run to the FA Cup final would have been possible last year if COVID wouldn't have happened and the season played on as right as a regular uh, would have. Yeah, so for, to the first part of your question, I think it absolutely helped the team. Um, Haley Reso, they, they brought her in last winter, but due to an injury, she wasn't able to feature for the team at all. So she's, you know, for all intents and purposes, a new signing, and she's been excellent for the team. And then they brought in uh, Rika Savecki, who has uh, stabilized the center back position uh, for Everton. She's played in every match for the team. And then they brought in Nicolene Sorensen on the wing. And so all three players have been you know, greatly instrumental in, in the team and, and their development and the, the chemistry. And they've, they have, you know, acclimated, acclimated to Everton, the team very well. So it's, it's really been a team effort with Willie Kirk bringing in these new signings and getting them up to speed with the team. So I think it absolutely helped them in the competition. And in terms of the second part of your question, if Everton had the team they had last year, you know, prior to these signings, I'm not sure they would have been able to beat Chelsea. I think it would have been a competitive match because a lot of the team is still, it was still together at that point last year, but I think it would have been a tougher match. Had they managed to beat Chelsea last year and, and gotten Birmingham, I think they would have still been able to qualify. Um, but I think it would have been a much more difficult task against Chelsea. Um, and, and maybe the one thing I'd add also Ingrid Mowold, uh, they brought in at, at the right back position. So a lot of signings that were brought in in the summer that really helped uh, this team, and, and they've made a huge impact. 
I was going to ask, do you think um, since since um, since Chloe Kelly left and then Izzy Christensen has come back, uh, you know, you've got Gervan up front as well. Do you think Everton are kind of, because it felt like maybe at times they relied a lot on sort of individual brilliance of Chloe Kelly maybe a bit last season, whereas it seems this year maybe it's more of a team effort and they're a more sort of cohesive unit. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, Chloe Kelly netted nine times, was the leading goal scorer last season, and and was a big reason that, you know, she Everton definitely ran their attack through her. You know, and again, this season, I mean, bringing in Mo Wold, she can get up the wings from the right-back position. Sorensen on the wing, Russell on the wing. Christensen has really come in and, and can play all throughout the midfield. So, absolutely, the, the team is a much more cohesive unit. And, and you see it. I mean, after the games, the team celebrates. There is... A, a really strong culture and, and ethos around the team this year. Yeah, I mean, the atmosphere, could, obviously the speed quarter final, like you said, was a, was a good listen um, last Sunday and um, looked a really kind of special team moment uh, full-time in that game. Um, do, do, you, do you make Everton favourites for the final and obviously playing Man City on November the 1st, they're the defending FA Cup champions, um, beat Everton, I think in a friendly in August, didn't they then? Obviously, the two they play each other in the in the, the sort of continental, continental league Cup. on uh, Wednesday, which would be kind of an interesting prelude, I guess, to the final. Um, obviously, still four weeks away, but what are your kind of feelings going into that final at the moment? Yeah, I I think that the the fact that it is so far away definitely benefits Man City. They have had not as strong a start to the campaign as I think a lot of people thought they would. Um, in the first match, they actually played Aston Villa and they only won 2-0 and and then they tied Brighton in the second league match uh 0-0 they, they had a lot of chances but but they were wasteful in front of the net they they didn't finish yeah. and so I just like, I just like only 2-0 <laughs> yeah <laughs> well you know when Everton wins 6-0 it's yeah. <laughs> that's the president yeah that's a great segue into what the women's team did in the league this past weekend Everton won 6-0 six, six uh, as you just mentioned, Haley Razzo, uh, Claire Emsley, uh, Goffin again, um, Chantel Boy. I'm not okay. entirely Belorca. sure. Belorca. Belorca. Okay, there you go. Um, all scoring goals for the Toffees. Um, a great performance. Uh, I'm sure there's probably not too much negatives from this one, right? 100%. Absolutely. I mean, again, it was just it was just another example of the depth that that Everton possess. You know, Claire Emsley came in off the, you know, she's, she's not usually a starter, but she came in, started today, had a brace, um, you know, and I think one of the things that, that makes Everton such a strong team is the amount of goal scorers they have. They have eight, eight different players have scored. They've scored a total of 16 goals throughout both competitions and they've only conceded one. And against Aston Villa, McIver really wasn't asked to do much. She, she made a couple saves, but again, was smart when asked, um, you know, to, to make those saves. And, and the team, the chemistry is evident. They are finding the open seams in the pitch, and they're, I mean, the passing is superb. One-touch passing, working the ball up the field. Uh, you know, they know when to, keep, when to hold on to the ball, when to see out possession, and when to move the ball up the field. And, and the players they have complement Willie Kirk's system, which is definitely a possession-based system. And, and the players have adapted really well to it. 
and it's it's the perfect personnel and they they really smothered that yeah. Um, I was going to say as well, do you think, obviously 100% record in the league um, and the cup, um, top of the league for now could be out of date by the time Arsenal will probably beat Bristol City or bottom. Um, but I think you said a few weeks ago when, when we last had you on that like you saw the Champions League as like a, a feasible target. Have you kind of already altered that and sort of, do you think everyone can maybe go one further and challenge for the league yet or is that still maybe early days to to get that carried away i you know i i am all about hopping on the hype train honestly i i mean the the win against chelsea really showed what this team can do they were not outmatched in that game the first 10 minutes yes but for the remaining 80 it was back and forth everton had their chances and it wasn't you know just like they they finished their two chances in front of net they had other opportunities to score and, and against a Chelsea team that are heavily favored to repeat as champions in the league. And so I'm, I'm excited to see how Everton match up against Man City this, this week. I think that'll be a really good sign, indication of how they can compete. Um, you know, and, and City just beat Arsenal 2-1 in they, convincingly in, in the other semifinal of the FA Cup. So for me, I, I think that I don't want to get carried away, of course, but I think the, the winning the league is possible. To, to beat Chelsea, Everton are one of those top teams in the league. They have the personnel and the depth and coaching to do it. So I, I, I'd say absolutely. I would say they are, they are title contenders. Well, I mean, that's great to hear. And I guess just to kind of wrap things up here, uh, obviously title contenders, improvements made significantly over the last few years. What's the difference? What stands out as the one difference between this team and Everton teams in the past that gives them that ability to go for a Champions League spot and win these games and go for an FA Cup final and, and go for possibly even a league title? Yeah, I think it's the chemistry. You see, you know, after every game on, on Twitter, on social media, in the news, where have you, all of the players, the, 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 the collective message is, is the same. It is, you know, this team, it's special, this group, you know, we know how to get it done. And, and the players are fighting for each other. You know, I mean, you have wingers, Sorensen and, and Rasso coming back to defend. You have excellent play in net with, with McIver. And, and you all over the pitch, you have, you know, combinations really establishing that chemistry. And that has been key to Everton's win. And, and it's a really fun atmosphere around the team. The players building that chemistry, they're enjoying themselves. And I think that's been vital to their success this season. Yeah, well, well thank you, Ian. Um, we appreciate um, the insight into the Everton women's team. Obviously, we're here rooting for uh, all the Everton teams to win. We want to see trophies in, in any way we can get them. Um, and we, we appreciate your insight. And hopefully this run keeps, uh, keeps on going as they'll face Man City this week. Um, and then a couple weeks from now, they'll face them in the final, hopefully, and Everton get a trophy. And so uh, thank you for that, Ian. And, and to all you guys out there, thank you for listening. Um, of course, thank you to Matthew Chandler again. And we'll uh, talk to you guys next week.